Hello, and thank you for listening to Units of World War II. This is episode four, part four, about the fourth ID, where we'll be mostly covering the Battle of the Bulge. So picking up where we left off in part three, after Hurricane, the fourth ID was placed into a defensive position on a 35-mile front along the Sauer and Moselle rivers, north and east of Luxembourg. This was considered a quiet sector, which gave the battle-weary division a good break. Or as George Wilson said, it felt like it was a release from a prison sentence. During this break, their feet started to freeze inside their boots, a sign of the coming trench foot and frostbite. But there were hot meals every day, which was a nice break from the crappy rations or no food at all during Hurtgen. Many of the men were also set up in the homes inside of Luxembourg, which was a nice luxury. Typically, probably mostly officers. George Wilson, who wrote, If You Survive, was able to take some R&R through downtown Luxembourg. And this was somehow a peaceful retreat from the rest of the war, even though Luxembourg was pretty close to the front lines, if not right next to it. This break would only last a couple of weeks, though. On December 16th, 1944, the Great German Counteroffensive began, mimicking the German 1940 offensive. This is more commonly known as the Battle of the Bulge. Within a day, the Germans had cut through the American lines in the north, aka the center of the Bulge, and had overrun 60 miles of American front. German infantry pushed through, allowing Panzer divisions to break loose towards Liege and the Neuse River. It later became apparent that the southern part of this attack would fall within the zone of the 4th ID. The roads were excellent, and that's why von Reinstedt wanted to run his panzer divisions on them towards Echternach to take Highway 11 to Luxembourg. From there, he planned to drive further west. The 4th ID held the line at Berdorf, Echternach, and Dickweiler. The 212th Volksgrenadier Division attacked at 0945 or 9.45 in the morning on December 16th, 1944. As the advancing 212th Volksgrenadier Division pushed down the roads, it was met by all the reserves the 4th ID could muster. Two battalions of infantry, a company of cooks, military police, military police and mechanics, two battalions of engineers, reconnaissance troop, and any other miscellaneous troops in the area were shoved into the line to help stop the enemy. After six days, the 212th Volksgrenadiers were battered, bloodied, and defeated. This prevented the Panzers from breaking loose at Echternach. A regimental surgeon for the 212th said, quote, The terrible price in dead and wounded that the 212th Division has paid for, the meager success achieved, is exorbitant. End quote. The goal of the Germans was to advance through a network of roads, as I said, the northern sector of the 4th ID that led into the city of Luxembourg. And why Luxembourg was so important is because it was a hub for allied activities and the HQ of the 12th Army Group was there. Several divisions north of the 4th ID were overrun as this major offensive broke deep into Belgium, thus splitting the 1st Army. This forced a slight reorganization of forces to counter this. The 4th ID was moved south of the bulge under control of the 3rd Army. And on December 19, 1944, Patton, the 3rd Army commander, set up his HQ in Luxembourg City to take over. So during this time, 
Um, there's a lot going on. There was kind of there's some panic. There was obviously it's freezing cold. All the troops are very beaten up, so it's kind of a really hectic uh, front at this point. And George Wilson recalls moving up the line with two tanks, and he suggested the tank drivers to put on their bright orange visibility plates. And those are they're exactly as they sound. You slap on a couple of bright orange plates in the top of your tank and the pilots would be able to see them so that they wouldn't make any mistakes. The tank drivers ignored his suggestion since they thought the weather was too poor for aircraft anyway. But unfortunately, two P-47s came in shooting at George's men in the tanks. One of the P-47s actually dropped its napalm, scoring a direct hit on both tanks. The napalm engulfed the tanks and sucked the oxygen out of the surrounding area. After this, the other tanks put on their display plates. Even with all this confusion and unfortunate friendly fire, the 4th ID would not give up. They did not know the meaning of retreat, even though their lines were spread so incredibly thin. Someone suggested that they had fought so hard in Hurtgen for the privilege of moving to a quiet sector where they might get a chance to sleep in beds that they weren't willing to give them up without a struggle. The Germans were stopped and Luxembourg was saved. Although this massive offensive was stopped, casualties were very high and trench foot affected many of the men. And trench foot is caused by cold, damp feet and tight boots. The tight boots causes poor circulation. Poor circulation causes tissue decay. And unless circulation could be restored, the only remedy was amputation. So some soldiers lost their toes, while others lost their entire foot. For these soldiers, the war was over. To counter this, they implemented daily foot inspections. The men were warned about tingling sensations or numbness. They were urged to massage their feet as often as possible to help promote circulation. Extra socks were also issued and required to be changed every day. Water was also a problem. It could freeze on its way up to the line. The men used about two canteens a day. One canteen was used for a warm cup of coffee or hot chocolate while the other was used for the whole rest of the day. Their canteens were moved from their hips to the insides of their coats to help prevent freezing. Some soldiers ate snow, while others held their canteens between their legs to help melt the water. Other sources of heat were hard to come by and produce. The only fires they were able to make were with their waxy K ration boxes. And that's actually how they were designed. Uh, so the K ration boxes, they held everything in a K-ration, so um, most of the time it'd be like a packet of crackers, you'd have a can of meat, um, you'd have some smaller things like toilet paper, gum, kind of depended on which meal you had, like if it was breakfast, uh, supper, or dinner. So like I said, the K-ration boxes were made waxy on purpose, and that was to use it to cook your, your canned food. You could start it on fire, um, so if you broke it into pieces, threw it on, like, got one piece started, kept throwing it on smaller pieces, that wasn't a very good way to go about it. A uh, good way to go about it, to keep it going for a long time, would be to kind of stand it on end, and that would create more of like a slow burn. And that was used to cook your food, or just in this instance, stay warm. And foxholes were dugs so that two men could sit facing each other, one with their feet under the other's butt and obviously you take turns doing this. They were deep enough that their heads were one foot under the ground. Being this low helped to keep their warm breath in 
and the cold wind gusts out. And they lived like this from December 19th until Christmas Eve 1944, when most of them were pulled off the line and put into reserve. And on December 26, 1944, General Barton, who had led the 4th ID through D-Day, Cherbourg, ville Paris, and into Germany, was ordered to the U.S. for medical care. And he was replaced by Brigadier General Harold W. Blakely, who was the Division Artillery Commander. After a short break in Luxembourg, the 4th ID was tasked with an assault crossing the Sauer River on January 18, 1945. And from here, they drove north to the town of Van Den. And this attack, fortunately, only lasted a few days. After this, following a change of plans, the division was relieved. During the last days of January 1945, they moved north from Luxembourg, marched through Bastogne. That probably rings a bell if you've ever read the book or seen the series uh, Banner Brothers, and prepared for an attack in the Our River area. And yes, it's actually spelled O-U-R. Progress was slow here due to artillery and small arms fire, but they were still able to advance, and they continued advancing through southeast Belgium and actually ended up where they were just four and a half months before on the Siegfried Line. And so once again, they crossed into Germany and back through the Siegfried Line. This time around, it was a much shorter process than the first assault on the Siegfried Line. It only took a sneak attack at night, and they were through the enemy lines. The attack was pressed towards the Prum River, and there they sat for two weeks, waiting for supplies so that the attack could continue. March 1st, 1945, infantry crossed the Prum River on simple footbridges. And within nine days, they had reached and captured Adenau. The fighting on those nine days was hectic. The area between Prum and Kiel rivers was defended by the German 15th Parachute Regiment, which was composed of mostly extremely fanatical young men who fiercely resisted their advance. And they did not quit until they were killed. Kind of taking a sidebar here. At the end of the war, um, Germany was getting more and more desperate. And so, like I just said, the German 15th Parachute Regiment with the fanatical young men, um, Germany was also bringing, like, bringing in very, very young men and also older men, too, that were way past their prime. Basically a last-ditch effort. So after those hectic nine days and the capturing of Adenau, and after 199 days of consecutive contact, the 4th ID was moved by motor and train to the vicinity of Lunville, France. Here, the Division Artillery, 70th Tank Battalion, and 610th Tank Destroyer Battalion were attached to other units, while the remainder of the division rested. They expected to be called back to the Siegfried Line, but the 3rd Army's push was so quick that it wasn't necessary. On March 29, 1945, the 4th ID began crossing the Rhine River at Worms and launched an attack through Germany. The push was so fast that it was more of a pursuit, and the Germans couldn't really hold one spot for more than a few hours. Again, running out of men, supplies, food, uh, just 
pure desperation on the Germans' part. Moving east, the 4th ID drove to the outskirts of Würzburg and crossed the main river. After destroying the enemy, they advanced to, excuse my pronunciation, Bad Morgenthheim, Rothenburg, Kreilsheim, and Alain. Biggest issues were the blown bridges and roadblocks, and the enemy started to surrender or flee more easily as the advances continued. Ivan Schwartz stated in his transcript that in the months of February and March, the Germans surrendered without a shot fired. Some of the Germans even said, quote, waited for you a week, end quote. They didn't want to be captured by the Russians. So a little context behind that. I might have mentioned this before in earlier episodes, but uh, the Eastern Front was even more hellish than the Western Front that I'm describing for you um, that the 4th ID was in. Um, Russians felt betrayed because they had a non-aggression pact, but that barely held. And of course, Operation Barbarossa took place. The Germans were just ruthless to the Russians. And so once the tide turned in Stalingrad on the Eastern Front, um, the Russians were pretty much ruthless back to the Germans. But on April 25th, 1945, the 4th ID crossed the Danube River and increased their pace to 10 miles a day. Germans fell to the 4th in the southern outskirts of Munich, and the prisoner numbers increased until almost 50,000 had been processed by the division in the five weeks following the crossing of the Rhine. And at this point, hatred of the Germans started to grow as the atrocities from the concentration camps became visible. Word finally came to stop advancing as the division reached Bad Tolls, six miles from the Austrian border. On May 8, 1945, Germany surrendered. This would mark victory in Europe. Following the combat phase of the European campaign, the 4th ID was moved to an occupation zone around Hamburg. On May 17, 1945, they assumed responsibility for the new occupation zone within German regional districts of Oberfranken and Mittelfranken. For three weeks, they rested while cleaning and repairing equipment, guarding certain military installations, processing POWs, and enforcing military government regulations. After receiving news that the 4th ID was returned to the U.S. mainland, 4th ID moved on June 10th, 1945, to an assembly area close to Bamberg, Germany. Preparations were made for the rail and motor move to the port of La Havre and a trip back home. On Bamberg, 4th ID transferred 2,000 men with point scores of more than 85 to the 99th Infantry Division and received an equal number of low point men from that division. The point system was a way to select certain soldiers who go home first. Points were earned based on the time spent on duty. So, an enlisted man needed a score of 85 points to be considered for demobilization. And they were usually determined um, one month in service is one point each. Month in service overseas, one point each. In addition to month in service, a combat award. That could be a Medal of Honor, Distinguished Service Cross, Distinguished Service Medal, Legion of Merit, Silver Star Medal, Distinguished Flying Cross, Soldier's Medal, Bronze Star, Air Medal, Purple Heart, those are just to name a few, or Campaign Participation Star, those are five points each. And a dependent child under 18 years old, up to three, was 12 points each. 
it was contemplated that the 85 point and above runners were to be discharged while the rest of the fourth would be redeployed to the Pacific Theater of Operations. It was pretty common for units to be selected to be redeployed to the Pacific, especially units with a lot of combat experience. On June 18, 1945, a division review was held. By the end of June, the 4th had finished moving to Camp Gold near La Havre, France. And on July 2nd, 1945, Hermitage, one of four transport ships required to move the whole division, set sail home. After landing, the troops were shipped to camps near their homes and given 30 days of R&R. After the 30 days, they reported to the 4th's new home, Camp Butner, near Durham, North Carolina. Here, the 4th received a few weeks of training in anticipation of being shipped off to the Pacific. Unfortunately for them, they never shipped off to the Pacific as war with Japan ended. Obviously, this marked the end of the war for the men of the 4th ID. Now that we've completed the 4th ID's campaign, I just kind of wanted to share some um, stats, like numerical stats with you. On the 4th ID, there were three Medal of Honor recipients, 1,200 silver stars, 6,553 bronze stars, 100 air medals, 25 soldier medals, and in total, the 4th suffered 34,309 casualties throughout the entire war. This includes 21,879 battle casualties and 12,430 non-battle casualties. So that's just one U.S. division, just to put that in perspective. Well, I hope this was informative for you. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, kind of some housekeeping things, some notes for my listeners. I apologize for getting this one out very late. I know I said I was going to try and do bi-weekly. Um, July was insanely hectic for me. I had a lot of trips, a lot of stuff going on, so I just didn't have the time to get this in. I will try to be a little, little more consistent on the timing of these podcasts. Um, I think I will. I think I'll still be able to do biweekly. Another thing, this is something new to me. Every time I've been recording, I think I've gotten a little bit better, or I've noticed I've done certain things differently. So for when I did this unit, what I did when making my notes, I read that history book, made a bunch of notes, like the entire war. And then after that, I went back, I found some transcripts from veterans who served there, made some notes based off of those, added those notes into my history book notes, like in different colors and stuff. And then I listened to that audiobook, If You Survive by George Wilson, took notes on that. And then added that in as well for the entirety. So I think I'm going to change that next time. I think next time I'm going to break down the unit's uh, campaign into chunks, kind of like I did for these parts. But when I do the research, I'll do just that chunk rather than the entire war. It'll be a little more in-depth per chunk. And it'll just be easier for me to kind of... I don't memorize everything, but it'll just be easier for me to remember what I just read or remember what I just listened to and the notes I just took if I break it into smaller chunks. So I'm going to do that next time. Since this is the end of the fourth ID, I I guess I'm behind again um, uh, on the next unit. 
So since I didn't get any suggestions yet, I know this is still a very small podcast, so that's fine. <laughs> um, but the next unit I'm going to do is the 1st Infantry Division, um, also known as the Big Red One. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, when I do my World War II reenacting, that's kind of like the secondary unit that we do a lot is the Big Red One. So I think I'll be able to take what I know right now and then combine it with hopefully newer facts or newer stories that I haven't heard before. And hopefully this will next chunk of podcast will be a lot better than this one. Again, thank you for listening and thank you for your patience. Um, keep an eye out for part one on the 1st Infantry Division. Thanks.